middle of the country, but not middle of the road opinions. It's the podcast dedicated to sports in the air capital of the world. I'm going to Wichita. Wichita, Kansas, and beyond with Tommy Castor, Weston Mills, and Blake Cripps. This is Keeper of the Games. That is correct. Welcome in to another episode of the wildly underqualified yet mildly entertaining podcast that is all about sports in the air capital of Wichita, Kansas and beyond. We call ourselves Keeper of the Games and we are back for a brand new edition of the podcast. It is season two, episode 12. It is our 60th overall episode of the podcast and we are glad that you have joined us here today. I'm Tommy Castor along with Weston Mills and Blake Cripps. And, uh, you know, guys, I got to tell you first off, and and Blake, I'll start with you. Um, I am just glad that we have been able to pull you away from, uh, I don't even really want to call it March Madness. I feel like it's, 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 it's too boring to call it March Madness <laughs> in general. So many blowout games. Um, I, I'm surprised that you are awake and you've not fallen asleep by now. Uh, you know, when I watched hockey last night, I, okay. I was happy to watch hockey on NBC Sports Network. So, you know, I really kind of think of this as being hockey season. This is about the time when I start really paying attention to the National Hockey League because there's not those other sports going on. Obviously, baseball is going to be a big part of things here in the next week or so as that starts to ramp up. But uh, I'm, I'm excited to watch some hockey. So that you know, I, I'm I'm okay with March Madness being done, college basketball being over. Give me some hockey. It's hockey time. We've also got Weston Mills here on the program. And, uh, you know, Weston, I know that your, your two big campaigns recently have been, number one, advocating for more Mitch Lightfoot at KU, and then also that Houston, who is now a Final Four team, <laughs> might be the biggest fraud in the history of college basketball. So I'm excited to hear from you today, and hopefully uh, we can move away from some of these ridiculous takes and actually get back to normal. <laughs> Yeah, it, it would it would sure be nice if Houston could play a qualified team so we could decide if they're actually, you know, a decent basketball team or not. But I guess we'll see. I I guess we'll get to see and and uh, you know, if they can even keep the game within 20 or 30 points when they play a nice, you know, good opponent here in the final four. So, taking down a bunch of double digits to really tell everybody how good of a basketball team they are. But uh, this is enough about Houston. Uh, and, hey, I'm getting more Mitch Lightfoot. He's coming back for that uh, heralded sixth season. So uh, I, I just have there. to you know have a quick rebuttal. Houston is absolutely a legitimate basketball team. Couldn't be happier for Quentin Grimes. Couldn't be happier no. for Kelvin Sampson. Um, you know, th- this was a guy just a few years ago that wasn't didn't look like he would ever coach in the college ranks again. And so happy for them. And it, it doesn't you you don't pick who you play in March Madness. You just have to go out there and play and win. And that's exactly. I, I would what love to have my team be the worst Final Four team in the history of the Final Four. <laughs> I'd just love to be there. That's what I would like. Well, I think if Weston has has his say, uh, he would say that Houston is by far the uh, worst team to ever make it to a Final Four. But I think I would absolutely disagree. Oh, yeah, wouldn't be right, but... Yeah. Want to remind you to hit subscribe. That way, anytime we have a brand new episode of the podcast, you will be notified. Of course, you can find us on all of those major streaming platforms. We're on Apple Podcasts. We're on Google Podcasts. We're on Spotify, iHeartRadio, TuneIn Radio, Stitcher, Pocket Cast. Anywhere you listen to podcasts, you'll find Keeper of the Games right there. Of course, you can always watch this episode on our YouTube channel just by searching for Keeper of the Games. You can also find us on Facebook by searching for Keeper of the Games. And you can follow us on Twitter and Instagram at Cog. 
Pod. Our website, by the way, is cogsports.com. On this episode of Keeper of the Games, we will dive in to the college basketball transfer portal, talk a little bit about some of the additions and subtractions for all of the in-state D1 basketball programs. We'll also talk about the Wichita wind surge, our Wichita whip around, and a lot more here on Keeper of the Games. But we get started with a topic that uh, Blake Cripps sprung on everyone one week ago on this program, that it is time for our official 2021 Kansas City Royals season preview. Uh, Guys, we only have a couple of days until opening day for the Royals and, of course, for all the teams in Major League Baseball. Spring training is just about over, and I just have to start off by saying, man, it feels good. It feels good to be at the end of March and be excited for opening day for the Major League Baseball season. It didn't It didn't seem like that long ago, just a year ago, that we did not have opening day until middle of the summertime for Major League Baseball. It was a pandemic-shorted season for all of the Major League Baseball teams. The Kansas City Royals finished the 2020 shortened season with a record of 26-34 and 34 on the outside, looking in to the playoffs in Mike Matheny's first season in Kansas City. However... Guys, the Royals kind of put together a little bit of a late season run where there were some question marks about maybe they could possibly sneak into the expanded playoffs last season. Ultimately, it didn't happen for the Royals, but uh, it seems like a lot more optimism going into opening day this season than in the last couple of seasons. So Weston, I'm going to start with you. I know you are chopping at the bit. You're excited to get Royals baseball back underway. What are you expecting from the guys in Kauffman Stadium this season? Well, I'm definitely, uh, definitely excited about this season. I would certainly expect that I uh, this team is going to surprise some folks. I'm not certainly not suggesting that. Hey, look, guys, we might have a World Series team on our hands. Uh, we're not there, but I think just you know, Vegas has Kansas City at 73 and a half wins, um, and I think they're going to surprise some folks. I would definitely ha- hammer the over on that, and we're going to get a lot of good look at some of the young talent that we've talked about, that we've been promised, that's finally going to get a chance to shine. Um, we'll talk a little bit more about the roster and depth chart and, and those kind of things. Unfortunately, Bobby Witt did not make the opening day uh, roster, but we'll see him this season. I have no doubts about that. So overall, uh, you know, I think there's a lot of, or should be a lot of excitement about this, this team. And, and, I absolutely think that they will be in contention for a playoff spot. I'm not ready to, to promise that they, you know, sneak in or actually get one, but I think that down the stretch we'll still be interested in Royals baseball. And I think that's a big step uh, for this franchise. Yeah. I don't know if it really matters if Bobby Wood Jr. Makes the, the team. And I know a lot of people have kind of focused on that and I understand why he's a really, really talented prospect, a really exciting young player, but I think that there's so much danger in having him come up too soon. We've seen so many times, especially with the Royals, take Alex Gordon, for example, where things don't go well. He has to kind of get rehabilitated back in the minors. And obviously Alex Gordon came back as a, in a totally, retooled position completely different kind of hitter when he came back and obviously turned himself into a fantastic outfielder for Kansas City so for me I don't see the rush in having wit he would definitely be a storyline I think that there's that old adage that you know you're not necessarily signing or bringing somebody up to win you're bringing them up to put butts in the seats to sell tickets at the stadium uh, and I, I get that there's always going to be that component of it but for me 
this is a long-term play with Bobby Wood Jr. So if he needs to sit in the minors for a year, two years, and if he's ready in July, bring him up. If the Royals stink and they're out of it and he needs to come up in September or August and the games don't matter, bring him on up. There's no rush. Like Weston said, this is not a make or break year. It's not like the window is closing on Kansas City. The window probably, to be quite honest, and I know Royals fans probably don't want to hear this, the window's probably not even open right now in terms of Kansas City and where they are trying to get to a World Series. So just relax, just take it conservatively, let him develop, and whenever he's ready, and if it's this year, if it's in two weeks, or if it's next season even, you know, let him develop and come up when he's ready. You know, so one of the things that uh, Weston Mills is known for on this podcast is uh, occasionally from time to time straddling the fence a little bit, <laughs> you know, and and not fully giving an opinion what? one way or another. Uh, I'm actually going to take that position here on this topic. I'm going to pull uh, a page out of the playbook. Yeah, I'm going to push a little bit on the Royals. You know, Weston is talking about the Royals potentially being in contention down the stretch. Blake saying that the window is closed for Kansas City this season. I guess I'll just go on the record by saying, and I know this is a huge cop-out answer. It wouldn't surprise me if they were in contention. It wouldn't surprise me if they weren't in contention. I kind of feel like the Royals are a wild card, not necessarily a wild card contending team, team sure. but just a wild card in general. Like I'm not exactly sure what I'm going to get from them. One thing that is very exciting to me, though, about this team, and I'm going to follow up a little bit on uh, our comments from last week when we were talking about Salvador Perez and his new contract that he signed, is just the the front office's willingness to go out and spend money if they need to. The, the emphasis that they have put on bringing in some veterans on this team while they're shepherding up and bringing up that young talent that will you know, be roaming the field for Kansas City in the years to come. You know, you've got additions like Andrew Benintendi, which, you know, I know that um, it, it can be a little polarizing from some folks maybe aren't fully on board with him, but I do think he'll contribute for Kansas City this upcoming season. Guys like Carlos Santana, who at the very least can provide you some veteran depth, you know, on this team and maybe even get you, you know, some some good slugging, uh, you know, as the season goes on. That's kind of what he's been known for over the course of his career. Uh, you know, so I, I do think that there are opportunities here for Kansas City to, to come in and, and maybe play the role of the Cinderella a little bit, maybe play the role of the team that, you know, maybe is going to be picked outside of the playoff picture, but maybe ends up sneaking in. Um, because we we saw that from Kansas City last season. Uh, like I said, down the stretch, they made things a little bit interesting about whether or not they would actually make it into the playoffs. Let's start a little bit. Uh, let's start first off with the offense for Kansas City. So we know, uh, you know, the cornerstone is Salvador Perez. We know, and this is a guy that we've not talked about quite a bit, uh, you know, on this podcast, but he, let's not forget, is the Royal single season home run record holder. And that's Jorge Soler, you know, on this team. Whit Merrifield's on this team. Of course, the, the newcomers, like we talked about. Blake, are you buying or selling the Royals offense? And then once you answer, Weston, uh, I'll, I'll ask you the same question. I mean, I think you have to sell just based on their historical averages. They were 13th in the American League in runs last year, and that's even with the great stretch that they had down the stretch, and they were 14th in 2019. The biggest question mark is 
Salvador Perez. If you look at RotoChamp and what they have him projected at, they have his slash line projected at 261, 297, and 488. So they're projecting him to be a nice home run hitter. They have him projected at 26 home runs, 79 RBIs this season, but not a particularly great average or on-base guy. Obviously, last season, his slash line was unbelievable in the very small sample size for baseball, but he slashed 333, 353, 633. If Salvador Perez, he is the biggest delta, I think, for Kansas City offensively. If he slugs over 500, totally different offense for Kansas City if Salvador Perez could do that. I wonder about the mentality of Salvador Perez and whether or not he's going to come into this season fully focused. And the reason I say that is this. Salvador Perez is such a such a great guy, such a great community guy, all-American, positive attitude. Like, absolutely, you know, we talked about all the reasons you didn't want to sign him last week, but those are the reasons that you do want to sign him is because everybody loves Salvador Perez. He gives so much back to the community. Like, you, you never have to worry – is Salvador Perez going to get caught driving under the influence? Is he going to be caught in a place he's not supposed to be? If he's going to be cheating on his girlfriend, I, I would never believe that or worry about that with Salvador Perez. Leadership in the locker room. I wonder, though, if he is going to feel pressure to live up to this contract because he wants to provide that spark for Kansas City so bad you know, that he's going to be swinging out of his cleats on opening day I don't know about that because I know how bad he wants to win. I know he wants to be that guy for Kansas City. So for me, offensively, Salvador Perez is the biggest X factor. You guys have heard me say I'm not a huge fan of the Carlos Santana signing. Rotochamp has him projected at 240. I think Whit Merrifield is obviously going to be the best contact hitter. Andrew Benintendi is the second biggest question mark for me. Is he going to come off of that injury and be the near 300 guy like he has in the past? Rotochamp has him projected to hit about 260 this year. That would not bode well for Kansas City offensively. So two guys that I'm watching the most uh, so far would be not Carlos Santana, Andrew Benintendi, and Salvador Perez. So Weston, those are the two guys that I'm looking back, looking at. If those two guys hit above their average this year, then maybe you know, in my scenario, the window is cracked open and a little bit closer to the 80 wins. I know you didn't project a, an exact win total, but it, from what you were sounding like, you thought maybe this team could get to 80, 81 wins. If those two guys hit above their weight, maybe they are going to get close to yeah. that 80 win. 500 type of a season. You know, Blake, back in my, in my younger days when I was roaming power and light in Westport, (laughs) um, I'm just going to point out, I'm going to point out that give some credit to me because I'm not going to say some of the stuff that I saw and heard about Salvador Perez again, my younger younger days days too. He's matured. So, uh, you know, and I'm, and I'm, and I'm not going to comment. So, you know, credit to me for not commenting. But anyway, so back to the original question, I'm actually going to buy the offense in the sense of where I think people are projecting them. So if you like look at Vegas, look at expectations, I think the offense is going to exceed those expectations. I don't I don't think we're necessarily sure. looking at a top 10 offense, but I do think it's going to exceed where folks think it's at. Um 
you know, and really, if you go back to last year and you kind of think about the two bats really that drove the offense, um, well, I guess three bats. You talk about Whit Merrifield, you talk about Salvador Perez, and then you talk about Jorge Soler. Right now, if you look at the projected lineup that you, you think you're going to see on most days, you got Whit Merrifield leading off, and then you have Andrew Benintendi and uh, Mondi hitting in the three hole. So if you get into the season, Mondi, uh, you know, Ben Benintendi when he was dang near looked like he was going to be an MVP candidate for half a second there with the Red Sox. I mean, and I get that was like, what, two seasons ago now. So, but that kind of potential, then you have Salvi hitting in the five hole and Soler hitting in the six hole. So potentially, I mean, you know, if you can live up to that expectation and that's the whole question, right? So I'm I'm not just blowing past that understanding that, you know, you got to live up to those expectations. That top six is is a pretty stout lineup. Um, now, with that being said, I think you have to keep in mind that, you know, AL Central is going to be very tough this year. Uh, Vegas has uh, the Twins projected at 80, 88 and a half wins. We got uh, the White Sox at 90 and a half wins. And then you got the Indians at 81 and a half wins, all above where they've projected the Royals. So you're going to see some good pitching. I think there's a couple of those teams I think is that the win total is driven more by their offense than pitching. But but a f- bunch of good arms in this division, which I think will certainly – you know, that's going to hamper the offense, right? I mean, if you're, if you're consistently, you can be a great offense, but if you're consistently facing good pitchers, that's going to kind of curtail what, what you can produce. Someone that I'm, I'm very interested in, and, and I think we're all a little surprised that he ended up one on the roster and two is going to be probably our everyday right fielder is Kyle Isabel. Um, you know, he was drafted uh, from the Royals as a third round pick in 2018 out of UNLV. And I just, I, I didn't even, with all the prospects, he's not somebody that was even on my radar. It just started kind of popping up and, and folks were talking about him over the last really few weeks that, hey, it looks like, you know, he could make the the everyday lineup. And then, of course, not only that, but, you know, start. So uh, he's, he's going to be an interesting guy. I mean, in his senior year at UNLV. He hit 14 home runs, had six stolen bases. So he kind of, you know, he's got a little, can do a little bit of everything. He was on base 441, uh, slugged 643. So the guy's got a good bat, you know, but that, of course, that was at the college level. And then we haven't got to see a, a whole lot of what he could do in the minors as we didn't have a season last year. And then prior to that, he was, you know, very early on in his uh, growth and progression. So he's going to be interesting. I mean, he's going to hit out of the nine hole. That's not certainly, you know, someone that I'm looking to, you don't need the nine hole to produce, but um, I think he's a very interesting prospect, especially since the Royals and Mike Matheny and Dayton Moore have identified someone that they think, you know, is kind of a a hidden gem here. So I'm excited to see this offense. Uh, I think you're right on. I think Salvi, you know, drives this. I think, uh, there's a ton of potential. It's just a matter of whether they can live up to, to the expectations. couple of names offensively for Kansas City that uh, we either have not mentioned so far um, or we've mentioned a little bit, but um, who I'm kind of keeping an eye on. Uh, first off is Adalberto Mondesi. You know, he's a guy that has kind of either had it yeah. all working or not working at all for, for Kansas City. And if you look at, you know, his line in, in 2020 in the shortened season, you know, he played all but one game for the Royals last season. He hit 256, 294, 416, had six home runs, uh, 11 double, doubles, and stole 24 bases, which led the majors. What's funny about that line, I mean, that's a pretty respectable line in 59 games. 
What's funny is that I think that the majority of people that watched the Royals would have said that Mondesi was pretty much in a slump for most of the season. In fact, Weston, I think you and I talked about that a few different times on this program last season about how it seemed like Mondesi was sort of in a slump, although he did end the season well. Uh, He batted in the month of September, 356-408-667 with six home runs, six doubles, and 16 stolen bases. So he had a great September ending ending that season on a high note. Uh, and so I know Royals fans are going to be looking forward to what he can do. Also, Franchi Cordero is a guy that I think has a lot of potential if he can stay healthy. He could be a guy that we could be looking at hitting maybe 20 home runs on the season if he can stay healthy throughout the course of the season. He's a five-tool player. The Royals like him a lot. Uh, and so, again, if he can stay healthy, I think he could be uh, you know, a, a contributor for Kansas City. And finally, Jorge Soler. I know we've talked about him quite a bit, but one reason why I think that he could have himself – not just a good, but a great season in Kansas City is that this is his final year before free agency. It's the last year of his contract. And so, you know, he's going to have a lot of suitors on the free agent market. Uh, I don't know if Kansas City will be looking to re-sign him or not. He's going to be 30 years old by the time next season rolls around. That's not old by any means, but will Kansas City want to give him a bigger contract that you know he'll probably have earned by that point, or will he go elsewhere? So I would expect Jorge Soler to have a pretty great season offensively for Kansas City, especially knowing that he's going to be going into free agency after this season is up. Uh, uh, Weston, did you have something you wanted to add there, Tommy? Yeah, I don't. I I think you bought a misbook. I don't think you meant Franchi Cordero as he's plays for the Boston Red Sox. He that's got right. In the that's Vin, that's Vin right. Yep. Deal. I didn't mean to. I I meant to. I was talking about Hunter Dozier. Okay. That's who I meant to talk about. I think Hunter Dozier is a guy that could hit uh, that he, easily. That twenty home runs. Yep. My bad. Well, and we've and we've seen that out of him too. That's the thing, you know. So we've seen that blip of, of real. There's just that's why I guess why I'm so excited about this season is because. If you look at one through nine, you you can you can talk me into being overly excited about every single one of those guys. I mean, I don't think it's all going to come together this year by any means, but there is just so much talent. And I want to go back to Mondi because I think I didn't really touch on him, and I'm going to guess to some degree maybe you know with Blake focusing on Salvi as well because with Mondi to me, it, it, like you mentioned with his season last year, it's sink or swim, and I think he's sink or swim for the entire team because here's the thing. Mondi's going to play, he's going to play every day, and he's going to bat in the three-hole for a majority of the season. So if he's not hitting well, I mean, there's no chance that the the Royals are going to, you know, be able to live up to too much hype. Um, And on the flip side, if he hits well, then you get that. That's where we start talking about, okay, if Salvi's producing, this team could really click on offense. If, you know, you see something at a Hunter Dozier or Witt just plays up to his level. Um, But I think that good chunk of the season – at least until all-star break, I just don't think you're going to see them mess with Mondi, no matter what, what kind of level he produces. Now, after that, you know, you start having conversations. Okay. Where's the team? Are we in contention? Okay. Well now we have to not as worry about Mondi's maybe growth because he's not producing and move him around. But I think at least until the all-star break, he's going to hit. In the he doesn't hole seem to be a traditional kind of three hole hitter to me. His numbers would not suggest that now in spring training so far this year, He's been hitting 300 on base of 343 with a 600 slugging. Okay, that sounds like a three-hole hitter, but I, I, I don't know if I buy him at a three-hole hitter over 162 games. I mean, 
mean, it looks like from most of the projections, that's where he's going to start. And I also wonder about Santana in the cleanup spot. Um, although the guy that's most likely to replace him, you know, is is Soler. And Soler has not had a tremendous spring for Kansas City. So maybe that's the reason why they, he gets the nod there. Um, but those are a couple of the of the places that I've been wondering. Soler is actually hitting 286 here in the uh, in in this spring training season with five home runs. So th- those would be the two things, Tommy. I know we're getting to pitching next, but I would wonder: Does Mondesi is he the long term option at the three spot? And do you really want Santana being in that cleanup spot over Soler, a guy who is projected to hit about 33 home runs this season? Yeah, I think that part of that question comes down to, again, what Mondesi can do in that three hole. And, sure. you know, how how protective is he going to be of the cleanup spot? Um, you know, so I think that becomes a big question mark. You know, does he if, need to hit if, for power or does it, if, if he hits 300 are the Royals like, OK, that's fine. Right. Yeah. I think that's, that's the million dollar question, especially with Modesty. You know, if he can continue on and I know that he's had, I think he's had a, a pretty solid spring training Mondesi has, uh, but obviously ended last season on a high note. And so I'm sure that that's going to yeah, at least you know, provide he's slugging 606 and hitting over 300. Right. So, I yeah. mean, not a ton of power, but four RBIs I and mean, he's 10 for 33. I mean, that's so, I mean, if you, if you do that through the whole season, I mean, I, they will certainly take Mondesi hitting 300 yeah. for sure. And Absolutely. if you've ever if you've ever seen any sort of interview or read any kind of article about Mondesi, he loves playing for Kansas City. He loves the Royals. Um, you know, probably I would say maybe only second to Salvador Perez as <laughs> yeah. far as like loving the Royals organization. <laughs> yeah. So as far as him being the long term answer for Kansas City, I think again that's added motivation, you know, for for Mondesi to continue to uh, maybe stay consistent in his game or try to do that to the best of his ability because he wants to stay in Kansas City. Uh, as far as pitching is concerned for the Royals guys, that seems to be the million dollar question every single year. That's always something that you know yeah. becomes a topic of discussion. But I would say overall, when you look at the pitching staff this season for Kansas City, at least my opinion, and Blake, I'll start with you. My opinion is that it might not be as much of a question mark as in years past. I still think there are questions, but maybe not as much of a question mark. We know that Brad Keller is going to be the opening day starter. You know, for Kansas City, we know Brady Singer, you know, is on that rotation. The Royals signed Mike Miner. He'll be joining that uh, that staff for Kansas City. Then, of course, you get deeper into the rotation. There become, you know, some, some bigger question marks. What do you expect out of the pitching for Kansas City this season? Well, I expect it to be a little bit bumpy here, Tommy. Um, you know, looking... If you've got an ace that you've already decided on, you know, Keller to me has not exactly just set the world on fire at spring training. His ERA is 5.4. His whip is over two. And the one guy that I think we need to have Kansas City either figure out or move on from to me is Danny Duffy. I think the guy has got loads of talent uh, so far in spring training this year. Opponents are hitting only 212 against him, and his whip is about 110. But he just has a way of giving up those soul-crushing fifth-inning home runs. 
And his strikeouts have gone down each of the last two seasons. They're way down from his high in 2016. He's lost about two miles per hour on his average fastball velocity. And he's giving up about two home runs every nine innings, which if you extrapolate that out over a whole season, that would be by far his highest. And that's always been the thing with Danny Duffy that's been so frustrating is he'll go along and he will be absolutely nails for four and two-thirds innings, and then all of a sudden the wheels will come off in the fifth inning or in the sixth inning, and you just can't ever rely on him to get to the seventh inning. Can he finally turn the corner and be that left-handed guy that you can rely on for Kansas City to not give up that big hit? Irvin Santana out of the bullpen has been absolutely amazing in spring training for Kansas City. Wade Davis is back. Can he get back to his old form. He hasn't really touched that dominant HDH World Series form the last few stops that he's had. And I think he's had some injury problems too, Weston. So I, I think for Kansas City right now, I'm I'm not expecting this to be a real smooth sail to begin the season for Kansas City. The bullpen definitely was a strength last year. Can they come back and can the, the guys, it, mainly if you're looking at Holland, Hahn, and Barlow, those are the three guys that really had good, productive 2020s out of the bullpen for Kansas City. I think they will rely on them. But from the starter, I don't know how I feel about Brad Keller. His 2020 was great. ERA under 2.5. He had a great 2020. But as I've said, Tommy, very small sample size. Hasn't exactly lit it up in spring. And, and Weston, I think it's time to see Danny Duffy take the next step. I want to see the next step from Danny Duffy. If not... Maybe it's time to move on. Well, I'm glad that you you spend some time talking about Danny Duffy because as much as I fanboy over Mitch Lightfoot, I think I fanboy <laughs> just as much over the Duffman and Danny Duffy. And if there's anybody who loves being a Royal as much as Salvador Perez or more than Alberto Mondesi, it's Danny Duffy, Mister Bury Me a Royal himself. <laughs> He's a great guy. Uh, gotta gotta get a lot. He's out a of great Duffy. guy. I have nothing against Danny love, Duffy. Love Danny Duffy. Fu- I actually ran into him in a CVS one time. His dog sniffed me and he apologized. <laughs> and I said, don't, don't worry about it. It's always man. about Weston. Um, that's so always, that's my uh, Danny Duffy story. Hey, I had to work it in, but, but I think you're right. I mean, I think getting something out of Duffy, the, the thing is that I don't, I, I get what you're saying. And I, I'm going to just pick on your verbiage a little bit because I, I think with Danny, I don't think it's taking the next step now. I think for him, it's more kind of transitioning in his career. I mean, I know he's not old, but he's older. And the thing is, if you've heard him talk, he's one of those guys that loves pitching, loves the art of pitching. And I think those guys tend to bode well as they maybe lose some zip on their fastball because they really get into the art of, you know, spinning a baseball, Mm -hmm. learning the junk, learning the positioning, really learning how to work a game. And I think that's something he can do and provide. Um, but certainly, I, I do think he is important because I think the difference in having three starters that you feel really comfortable with and four is really a huge difference for a team. I mean, you know, they're going to have a five man rotation. Um, but really, I think getting solid production out of four makes a big difference when you talk about a, a season long win total. So I, I'm excited. I, I do think Brad Keller, I, I think he can develop into an ace. I think he's the guy that you want to see take that next step and either develop into an ace 
you know, or otherwise you're kind of looking at some of your younger guys that eventually are going to take over that, that lead, that one, that opening day starter type role that Brad Keller's in. So for me, I think the biggest guy to keep an eye on is Brady Singer. You know, is he going to be that guy that that we drafted? You know, I, I think it was the third pick. I think he was the third pick overall. A solid spring. Fourth. Um, yeah, yeah, so absolutely. So he's kind of that, you know, that guy that could really take that next step and develop. I think, you know, he was actually drafted with the intentions of being an ace where Brad Keller, you know, he was a rule, uh, rule five guy. Um, and not that you don't hope for the best out of those guys, but I don't think you're really getting anybody out of that draft expecting them to become an ace. So, you know, it's kind of bonus with Keller, whereas you're expecting, you're expecting Singer to, to develop into that ace role. And keep in mind, too, and I think this is why the Royals are are in a good position with their pitching staff. I, I do think that's definitely the question mark. I think that's going to be the weakness to this team. But if they can get some innings early on and kind of develop, get through the season, win some baseball games, they've got some younger guys on the way, right, that maybe can step in. You, you know, you can think of a couple of minds. You think of Jackson Kowar. You think of Chris Bubich. Um, certainly Ace Lacey is going to be there eventually. I don't, I don't think he's a this year guy, maybe very late, probably next year, but you got some guys that are going to be ready to slide into that role. If Danny Duffy doesn't work out, if you don't get the best version of Mike Miner, um, you know, and, and certainly whatever question marks you have with Jake Junis. Um, but, but the starting rotation, I think to me is a little bit more of a concern. It could go drastically one way or the other, as opposed to, I think we kind of know what we get with the bullpen. I think it's going to be, a middle of the road bullpen. I I would be surprised, honestly, if it developed into an elite bullpen. Or the other way, I would be pretty shocked if it was a bad bullpen. I think it's just going to be kind of middle tier, good enough to contend uh, though, all the way through. And and I think really, well, see, and that's and that's kind of where I struggle with. You know, I think they're going to outperform expectation. I think they're going to be in contention, but I just, I'm not ready to say that they could actually grab a spot. And I think because the bullpen, because of the starting pitching is going to be, I, I actually like the starting nine or eight, you know, I like your, I like the infield and the outfield, but I, I'm just not convinced about the pitching staff. Um, you're not going to see, you're not going to see old vintage Wade Davis. That, that <laughs> ship has sailed. Can he be effective? Yes. But the ship has sailed on an old Wade Davis. Same with Greg Holland. Um, you know, he was very good last year, but it's still not, it's still not 2015 Greg Holland. You can't expect him to be 2015 Greg Holland. So you're looking at it, like you mentioned, some of the young guys. I really am excited about the continued growth of Josh Dalmont. Um, you mentioned Scott Barlow, who has one of the dirtiest <laughs> mustaches I've seen. Uh, God, he just every time I'm like he's Barlow, dude. And I haven't I haven't seen him pitch this spring, so I don't know if he still has the mustache. But last year it was. So you know, gross. as far as the pitching staff for Kansas City is concerned, I think one area, one reason why I say that maybe there's not as big of a question mark with the pitching staff. It, it goes back to Weston what you were saying. At least they've got some options. They have more options this year than I remember them having in, in yeah. years past. You know, almost every time you got to, you know, the the fourth time, you know, in the around the rotation or the fifth time in the rotation, you just had no idea what Kansas City was going to do. It was kind of a, a a patchwork pitching rotation, and that went on for a while for Kansas City. So now at least you've got options. You mentioned a lot of them. You know they've got some young arms and and Jackson Kowar. You didn't mention uh, Daniel Lynch. You know who is a, a pretty high prized yeah. prospect pitching wise for Kansas City. Of course, Asa Lacy is there. Um, 
you know, they've got some options in Jacob Junis and Urban Santana. Uh, I, it is going to be interesting to see how, you know, and I know you mentioned Chris Bubich a little bit. You know, he he's had some struggles. Uh, he's adjusting. He's working through some things. So because there are some options, you know, I think Kansas City can afford to be a little patient with Chris Bubich. So, you know, I again, I agree with what both of you all are saying about the pitching staff and about the question marks about them being kind of a weak link for Kansas City. But I am slightly more optimistic about the Royals pitching staff going into the 2021 season than I was when they entered 2020. Let's talk about prospects a little bit for Kansas City before we get to the final part of our Royals preview. You know, again, we've talked at length about the Royals farm system and, you know, how Dayton Moore has drafted over the past couple of years. And I know, Weston, you've talked about Kyle Isbell. And of course, we all know about Bobby Witt Jr. and what he's done. But there are some other prospects that are around, you know, guys like Nick Prado. uh, You know, he is a first baseman slash DH, and those positions are kind of filled for Kansas City right now. But he could be a guy that, you know, could potentially be coming up. And one thing we didn't mention, guys, about Jorge Soler. It is his last year before free agency. Could Dayton Moore move Soler, you know, to get some pieces to, you know, avoid losing him in free agency? If that happens, there could be a guy like Nick Prado who could move up and and take that role. So let's talk a little bit about prospects, whether they're position players or pitchers. Weston, I'll start with you. I know Bobby Witt's probably the most exciting, but who outside of Bobby Witt are you most excited to see? Well, you know, I, I, I mean, the thing is, and I, want, I just want to – I know you don't want to talk about Bobby Witt, but let me let me touch on, on Bobby okay. Witt real quick because one thing I want to mention – well, I, I know I think I was – I think I either said on this podcast or I tweeted that he'd be on the opening day. And I got to thinking, and it's something you mentioned last week, Tommy. I think Bobby Witt would have for sure been on this opening day roster had we had a minor league season last year. I think without being able to see what he's done at all in the minors, there's just, it, there's no amount of home runs, OBP slugging that Bobby Witt could have done to skip straight to the majors. So, um, you know, I think that's kind of one of the, the biggest things there, but I'll tell you someone who was on the roster last year that I'm still interested in who didn't make it is Nicky Lopez. You know, he's someone that, you know, you talk about guys that could move. Whit, Whit Merrifield could move. What are you going to do with, um, you know, Bobby Witt's kind of a natural shortstop. You got Mondi. Where does he go? How does Nicky Lopez fit in there? Uh, he showed a little bit of flash last year. They, they say he has the tools, right? But we just didn't see a whole lot. You could kind of see the, the defensive side out of him. Um, but that But that's – Someone who I think keep an eye on him in Omaha, see see how he's developing there, um, because he's someone that I think could be up and down quite a bit this year. Um, the catcher, uh, and I'm gonna botch his name, Maybreez Boyera. I'm sure that's wrong. That has to be wrong. I'm there's no way I got that right. But but he's he's one to, to also watch. I mean, you know, he's got to be a couple couple years away. You got Salvi. So what happens with him? I mean, is Salvi someone that moves to first base? Does he want to catch for his yeah. whole career? Can he catch for his whole career? But uh, Mabry's has been been really good in the minors, and, and I know he's someone that they were excited about. So I think you know keeping an eye on him is certainly and you always got to keep in mind with the major league baseball too right you get prospects that develop well that don't ever make the major league roster but those guys can turn into great trade chips if the royals are you know 
in contention or think that they could be in contention come the trade deadline. And, and those are the guys that might get moved. So those are two guys. And I know that's probably a boring answer. I mean, outside Bobby Witt, that he's kind of the one right now that everybody's, you know, excited about and all the buzz is about. But I think those two who we've seen a little bit could, could be someone to keep an eye on in Omaha. I'm a little bit cold on Nicky Lopez. I have to say this spring, he has not looked good. Hasn't really impressed me up at the big league level with his consistency. So far this spring, he's hitting 118 in 36, no, 39 plate appearances over 16 games, only getting on base about 23% of the time. I think Kansas City's got a lot of other infielders at the second base shortstop position that's going to be taking time away from him. I'm not sure that we're going to see Nicky Lopez up at this level. Level. Tommy, one thing that I'm focused on with the prospects is how Kansas City is is using its farm system to acquire resources. You guys have talked a lot in other podcasts that we've done here on Keeper of the Games about how they're making moves right now. And Weston's asked the question, what does it say about where the Royals feel like they are? And there was a really good article written, I think it was on Yahoo, by a young lady. Uh, gosh, I don't remember her name. I could probably pull it up. I think it's Hannah Kaiser wrote an American League Central Preview, and there was a quote from Dayton Moore in it, and he talks about basically how teams, in order to invest in their communities and keep their fan bases engaged every single year, need to try to win every single year. And obviously, it's a very respectable sentiment. It's a very admirable thing to do to not do the tank to World Series method. But it's easier said than done, too. And and that has worked. The the problem is that has worked. It worked for the Astros. And honestly, that's kind of how the Royals got there. You look at Dayton Moore's record, there are only three winning seasons since he's been in Kansas City. That's pretty terrible. He's been in Kansas City for over a decade now, right? So three out of ten. Now, obviously, you make back-to-back World Series, you get a ring, and you bring the trophy home. You a lot of Losing is forgiven, especially in a place like Kansas City that had done pretty much squad douche except for two years with Tony Pena after the last World Series. So I wonder, is this the correct approach for Kansas City to take? Because right now, at least with the economics and how how baseball works, maybe not how we would like it to work. We would like all the teams to compete and try to, to try to win every year and never have that season where, you know, like the Royals had, where they're really, really terrible for a couple of years. Or those seasons like the Astros had, where they were just absolutely god Kansas football level awful for a couple of years before they were able you know, obviously it worked out they both teams paid off it, it paid off for both teams they punished their franchises and their fans for a couple of seasons but they did get the carrot at the end Royals got had a fantastic probably the best three-year run in the history of Royals baseball got a World Series Astros came back had a great two three-year run got to the World Series and both teams won the hardware so is this the correct approach for Kansas City and Tommy this is a franchise that can't afford to make mistakes it's not a big payroll like the Dodgers or the Red Sox or the Yankees where if they mess up 
it's fine. You know, the Steinbrenner family lineage will just pump in a hundred more million dollars and they'll go on their way. Kansas City doesn't necessarily have that. And that's not a criticism of Royals ownership because I think that they have shown at least this year, while I may not agree with some of the money that they have spent, they have certainly not, you know, pinched their pockets, let's say, closed to not make an effort to feel the team that's going to make an attempt to win this year. But is that the right decision? I don't know that. Royals fans, you'll have to let us know. You can follow us on Twitter at CogPod. Would you rather the Royals absolutely stink for four years and have three year, like one three year run every decade, or would you rather have the Royals be competitive, 75 to 85 wins? Every single year, and then maybe once a decade, you're going to pop up to 90, win a division, and and go to go to a World Series. I think at this point for the Royals, Tommy, that's about the height of the expectations you can have. I don't know how this is going to work out for the Royals economically. That's the number one thing that I'm interested to see over these coming years, how the Royals use their farm system and how they leverage that with the veterans that they bring in as they try to, apparently, they're going to try to go against the grain of tanking and then getting to the World Series that way. Okay, so we've done our Royals preview. We've looked at the offense. We've looked at pitching. Uh, we didn't really talk a lot about defense, but um, you know that's They'll not sexy. Yeah, not as not as sexy than to talk about home runs and and wins and losses and saves. Um, but we've also talked about the prospects. Now, before we move on, before we move away from this preview, I'm going to put you guys on the spot here for a second because we've got to. We've, we've played very nice during this preview. We've just kind of talked about what we think and what our opinions are on the season. Haven't really disagreed on anything. Now it's time to actually get into, into sports talk for a second. And you can call it a bold prediction. You can call it a hot take. I want to know one major big bold opinion for the Royals 2020 season, that can be a record, that can be a, uh, where they place in, in their division, it can be about an individual player accomplishment, be about whatever you want it to be, but I want a bold, a bold statement, a bold opinion about the 2020 Royals season from each one of us. And if you got, do you guys need some time? Cause I can tell you mine first. I don't know. I'm think not about paid yours. to have bold opinions, Tommy. I'm paid to have correct opinions on this show. Okay, well, then what's your boldest correct opinion then? I'll let I mean, you go first. Uh, well, you know, I don't know how bold is this opinion for because I think this is about what they're projected. Um, and, you know, I don't I don't know. I don't think that Weston – I'm going to be a little bit more negative than Weston is. I'm thinking Kansas City is a 75-win team. I think the Twins are going to win the division. Rotochamp is a lot less uh, high on Chicago than Vegas is. I thought – I think you said – Weston that Vegas has the White Sox at 91 wins or so. Rotochamp has them projected for 84 with the Indians at 83. I think the Royals are going to finish fourth, 75 wins. If I have to go with one really bold prediction, I, I guess my boldest prediction would be Salvador Perez. Okay, God, I don't even know if I believe this. What about Salvador Perez hitting 300? Is that bold enough? I think sure. he can do it. Uh, I'm not sure I... I'm not sure I really That's believe bold. that, but you know, maybe maybe at the end of the year I can point back in this, and you know, we can all agree on how big of a genius I was if Salvador Perez does hit 300. But that would be pretty incredible. I, maybe that's the the boldest thing that I can that I can somehow somewhat get out on a limb on. I'm a pretty heavy guy. You need a really thick limb to hold me up, Tommy. Weston, how about you? Bold prediction for you. 
Uh, I'll let you go. I'm still thinking about mine. Okay. So here's my bold prediction. You guys remember a Royals player by the name. I'm going to go back in time here by the name of Angel Barroa. I do remember that name. Remember those Angel not, Barroa? Those were not good years if I remember yeah. correctly. So Angel Barroa won the American League Rookie of the Year in 2003. He was the last Royal to win the Rookie of the Year. My bull prediction, Bobby Witt Jr., American League Rookie of the Year in 2021. That's really? my prediction. Well, when, you know, when do you think he's going to get called up? I don't think the Royals are going to hesitate to bring him up. I think he's going to start in the minors, but I, I don't think that it's going to be all that long until they decide to bring him to the big league club. Um, I think, I think he could have easily started the season with the, with the major league team. Um, so I don't think it's going to be, uh, that's a good question. And I I don't know. That's not my bold prediction. My bold prediction is just that he's going to join the team and then he's going to win the American. He's got to play. You can't bat 10. This is an extra hit in high school baseball. Okay, well, then what about Nicky Lopez? Maybe Nicky Lopez gets demoted down to AAA or something, and Bobby Witt Jr. comes up. They move, you know, Witt, Witt ends up playing more second base at that point, and uh, then Bobby Witt Jr. comes in. Um, so I'm going to say that he's going to win the American League Rookie of the Year and be the that first bold. Royal since 2003 to win that award. Weston, you got one? Yeah, so, you know, and this is, I was just kind of trying to put the numbers on it. So I, I'm all in on Mondi having his breakout year. And I think, I think Mondi this year, I think he hits 300. I think he has 25 home runs and he steals 25 bases. Wow. And I think the stolen bases is the easiest to get to. The home runs is going to be the toughest. I mean, he did hit, you know, 14 in 2018. But I think if you get a 325 25 season out of Mondi out of the three hole, that's going to be, uh, a real spark for the offense on, on the Royals to say, the man, least. let me, let me say if Mondi hits 300 with 25 home runs and Salvador Perez hits 300, the Royals are going to have to have about the worst pitching staff ever <laughs> to not win 80 games, because that's the only way they're going to finish fourth. If both those yeah. things happen, man. And you add on Bobby Witt jr. Being the rookie of the year, you've got yourself yes. a, a pretty strong playoff contender there in Kansas. We are City. looking at a really terrible pitching year. If those three things come to fruition uh, for Kansas city to finish fourth. That is our Royals preview here on keeper of the games. Of course, opening day is this weekend and uh, we've got a long season ahead. So we'll make sure to keep you updated as the episodes go on about how the Royals season is panning out. We are going to transition into college basketball now. Obviously, March Madness is still going on. Uh, in fact, as we're recording this game, the final Elite Eight game is actually happening between UCLA and Michigan. Uh, and then we'll have our final four team set. The final four is this weekend. Of course, the national championship game uh, is uh, next week, early next week. And then we will have our 2021 national champion in college basketball. However, we're not going to talk about the tournament. All of the Kansas teams are out at this point. We are going to turn our attention to the future for both KU, Wichita State, and Kansas State. Let's start with the Jayhawks. We're going to talk transfer portal 
first for uh, the Jayhawks. And, you know, guys, of course, we all know in today's world of college basketball, the transfer portal becomes more and more popular. We start seeing more and more players transferring schools and really no program is immune from the transfer portal. And in some cases, it's a blow to the school. In other cases, it can give that school an opportunity to maybe start to rebuild a little bit and maybe bring in different pieces of the puzzle. And that almost seems to be what's happening in Lawrence with Bill Self's squad at the University of Kansas. After the Jayhawks finished their season 21-9 and with their round of 32 blowout at the hands of USC, there have been two Jayhawks who have entered their name in the transfer portal since last week's loss. Uh, Tyon Grant Foster has transferred out of the University of Kansas, as will Tristan Inaruna. Those are the two updated names right now. And so that's kind of where we start, guys. We're going to talk about a new commit for Kansas in just a few minutes. But Blake, I'll start with you. Uh, Initial thoughts on these two guys transferring out of Bill Self's program. You know, I, I thought that Grant Foster, I liked his athleticism, I but thinking back, I think that some of Kansas's best games, in some of Kansas's best games, he wasn't really a factor. Tristan Anaruna was very gifted. Everybody said he, he had all the tools to be that kind of a guy, but I don't think he was ever particularly locked in that well defensively. Only shot 23% from the three-point line, not a great assist-to-turnover ratio. I don't think that either one is going to be a tremendously big loss for Kansas. The good thing is the guys who are not in the transfer portal and don't appear to be testing the waters. From most of the projections that I have read, I read quite a few articles today, it seems like Ochai Abaji and Jalen Wilson are both expected to be back in Lawrence this year, and that would be really big. I am not planning on seeing Marcus Garrett back. I think he's going to go pro somewhere. I think he's going to go, and I don't think he's going to transfer to another college and play. I think he's going to go pro. Will that be in the NBA or a lower league, the D League? I I don't know, but I don't think that Garrett will be back. Everybody's expecting the NCAA to pass that waiver this year to make first-year transfers immediately eligible for the 2022 season. So the the guy that I'm looking at is Brandon McKissick out of the Summit League and and UMKC. He was the Summit League Defensive Player of the Year, 17 points per game, 40% from the three-point line, not a big assist guy, but kind of a number two assist option, probably going to get you 60 to 75 assists a year, not going to be a Marcus Garrick type of guy that gets you 100-plus in a season, but he would be a big-time addition. KU, Kansas State, Missouri are expected to be the top three, but also Florida, Oregon State, and St. Louis are on his list of final six. As Bill Self has said, Publicly, he'd kind of like to get back to running a two-guard type of a combo system, very similar to what he did with Frank Mason and Devontae Graham. So if you've got McKissick and Abaji in your backcourt, Brown is your shooter, he's going to have to shoot a little bit better. And then your frontcourt with David McCormick and Jalen Wilson, I kind of like that lineup. You've got Thompson, and I know that Weston and I have had our disagreements about Mitch Lightfoot. I think Mitch Lightfoot can be a good backup post player for Kansas. And one thing I think that he can bring, if he works on it, he's got to work on it, I would like to see him really focus on improving his three-point shot during this offseason. Because I think he has shown that he can step outside with a little bit of touch and stretch the defense in a way. Obviously, David McCormick's going to be a way better free-throw shooter than Mitch Lightfoot is. He always has been. He's always going to be. But I don't think... 
I trust David McCormick to be a three-point shooter. Mitch Lifeland's a guy I think that could step out and hit a three-point basket every once in a while and keep defenses honest. Dewan Harris, maybe he can compete for the, the point guard spot. But if you look at those five guys, if Kansas can bring in McKissick, I like that lineup. I, I like working inside out. Through McCormick, you've got plenty of shooters. Brown needs to shoot better. The, the two things that I look at, Tommy, the most are, uh, yeah, Weston, I guess you're up next. David McCormick needs to average eight rebounds a game next year. He needs to be a better rebounder for Kansas. And Brown needs to shoot better. Brown had a lot of open shots this year. I think his percentage was not quite where it was. If Wilson can be that double-double guy again for Kansas like he was in February, the guy that Kansas so desperately needed in that USC game that could have made all the difference in that game. Um, but obviously he wasn't. And, you know, like Tommy said, that ship has all but sailed. Um, I, I like that lineup. I'm really watching this McKissick signing. I think that could be the biggest addition for Kansas out of the transfer portal. As far as the subtractions, Tommy mentioned, I don't think either is that big of a deal for the Crimson and Blue. Yeah, when you talk about transfers, you know, I, I think we're we all need to start reassessing this kind of in a different way because this is going to become the new norm. Um, I was excited about Tristan and Aruna. Um, you know, I don't think it's a huge loss for the program, and particularly, I think it's almost more important that a program like Kansas has spots available as you're going to start to see more and more often some of these mid-major schools that have their best player goes, hey okay, I am good enough to play in a Power 5. I want to go play in a Power 5, and then you can snag some really good talent that way. Um, as this process gets to be almost commonplace, um, I think is what we're looking at. So I, I, I really like Tristan and Aruna. I'm not disappointed that he's leaving, and I certainly understand. I, I don't blame any of these guys. You know, I, I can imagine it would be hard as an athlete to come out of high school, you're, you were by far and away the best player on your high school team go to a program and not play and you only get four years you know so I don't blame any of these guys for wanting to go to a program where they can get that PT that that certainly um as far as Tyron Grant Foster is concerned I just in my brain I always have a hard time with Juco players thinking that there's growth still to be had I mean I know that there is but just for whatever reason I always just have this inclination to say okay well you know, if he came in and wasn't immediately, you know, a contributor, what more is there to be, which I know is the wrong approach, but that's just the way my brain works. So, um, again, I, I think it was more important for Kansas to have those two spots available. You know, you talk about McKissick, you talk about other players that are going to throw their name into the transfer portal, and Kansas is always going to be a great landing spot for guys like that. So, um, you know, I'm excited about that, uh, the potential of, of those guys coming in. And, and I think, like I said, you know, the transfer portal – is going to be such a huge tool for programs to utilize uh, moving forward. And, and I think last year, I know we talked a lot. I think I was very open about, oh, my God, there's seven guys transferring or whatever the number was for Wichita State. You know, there's got to be something going on. Well, that's still a high number. I think you, when you see guys leave at a, at a higher clip, it's not going to be as big deal anymore because this is going to continue to happen. So, um you know, I'm not worried about the transfer portal. I think Kansas has a good opportunity to bring a couple of high-quality players in to plug and kind of fix some of those things that Bill needs to address going into next season. Guys, I think we're looking at uh, what what could potentially be a, a total revamping of the, the Kansas roster. Um, I, and, and it's not surprising to me because the post-game conference with Bill Self after the USC blowout in the round of 32 
one of the questions was, you know, coach, how do you fix something like this? Or how are you able to compete, uh, you know, against a team that has the length and the athleticism that USC has? And we talked all about that last week on the program. But one of the things that Bill Self said was, well, we got to get longer. We got to get more athleticism. We got to get faster. We got to get stronger. You know, he said all of those things. And there's only so much that you can do with the roster that you currently have in front of you. And so that's absolutely why the transfer portal is such a tool now for coaches and their programs, not just for players to find a fresh starter to go to a different school, but also just for coaches and programs to sort of be able to, to, to sculpt what they want their program to look like. And I don't think for a second that Kansas is done in the transfer portal, both players leaving Kansas and potentially coming in to Kansas. I wouldn't be surprised if we see somebody like Jethro Muscadin transferring out of Kansas. I wouldn't be shocked to see Latrell Jossel transferring out of Kansas. You look at some of these guys that are taking up scholarships that are not getting hardly any playing playing time whatsoever, maybe they would have a better opportunity at another program. And that's what the transfer portal is able to do. The University of Kansas did get a new commit just in the last several hours from the time that we were recording this podcast as four-star point guard Bobby Pettiford has committed to Kansas. He had previously signed with Louisville, decommitted from the Cardinals, and he is going to sign with Bill Self and Kansas. Uh, he received a scholarship offer about 24 hours ago from the Jayhawks. It didn't take too much time, and just like that, Pettiford uh, is now a Jayhawk. And a lot of question, you know, I know, Blake, you talked about Brandon McKissick and how he is going to be just a, a really valued potential transfer coming into whatever program he commits to, potentially Kansas. But someone else that a lot of people have been talking about with the Jayhawks and maybe him being interested is a guy by the name of Ty Ty Washington. We talked about Ty Ty Washington just for a minute on the program last week. And a lot of people thought that maybe with this Bobby Pettiford signing, that now that meant that the Jayhawks were out on Ty Ty Washington. That may not be the case. According to Eric Bossy, uh, apparently Bobby Pettiford has been close friends with Ty Ty Washington since the seventh and eighth grade. And apparently Ty Ty was the first person that Pettiford told and is actively recruiting Ty Ty to come to Kansas. So we could be seeing even more additions to the Kansas squad. So I guess, you know, my next question for you, Blake, would be we've talked about the potential transfers coming in. What about these guys that have committed previously elsewhere, have decommitted, and now are committing to play for Bill Self? Oh, it's it's absolutely going to be a thing that Bill Self can do. And, and remember, Bill Self has also been a guy that is very willing and happy to go and get guys who are veterans, who are not necessarily the young guys like McKissick, like the guy that you mentioned who have been in or who are basically underclassmen, first or second year players. Yeah. Remember, he brought in Tark Black. Tark Black wasn't a superstar. At it by any means, but he played a role. He was a big man in the middle, very post-heavy player, stayed inside the paint, provided defense and rebounding for that Kansas team. It was a big part of that team's success. And Diedrich Lawson was a guy who, yeah, yeah, played inside, but could certainly step out and hit the three and play a stretch post. So Bill Self can look for those guys as well. It doesn't necessarily have to be the younger guys like you've mentioned. I think that he can look to 
to veteran guys to come in and, and just play the guys who have one year of eligibility left and not because they're going to go to the NBA next season, just because they only have one year left of eligibility. Why not spend it at Kansas? And and Bill Self has shown that at least with big men, I don't know, has he done that with any guards? I can't think of any off the top of my head, but that Isaiah Moss, maybe. Yeah, I, I don't know if he had the kind of impact that Tarek Black or Dedrick Lawson had, but that, that is a good point. But he's shown the ability that he can bring guys in for one year off of another program and integrate them in the best way possible. Because, you know, Tarek Black, like I've mentioned, when you transfer to a new spot, and like Weston said, this is going to become more and more it's going to happen more and more often kids right now. And it's not just kids. Let's stop blaming the kids for everything. It's parents too. And it's us. We want all, we want everything now. We don't want to wait. We want to, you know, get our relationship. Now we want to be happy. Now we want our money. Now we want to get rich. Now we don't want to wait or work for anything. And it's the same thing with these college kids. They want to play now. They don't want to wait on the bench for somebody else to graduate or go to the pros. They want to get their name in the paper. Now they want to score. Now they want to go, the NBA now and it's just the the society that we collectively as humanity have built in this country it's not the kids fault they're just living in it and yeah they're a product of it and yeah they're immature and impatient but so is everybody else so were their parents and probably to a lesser extent so were their grandparents so I think that Bill Self is just playing in the pool that he has to play in and that means using the transfer portal and getting these other guys in whether they be younger transfers or older transfers. I think Bill Self's going to go after anybody he thinks can help Kansas win. Weston, any thoughts from you about uh, the commits and, and who who's coming in for Kansas? No, I mean, you know, kind of just the same same stance as before. I mean, Bill Self, I mean, you can always trust in, in what he's doing, and, and we saw that there were some pieces that were needed. But you also got to remember, too, you know, this is college and not the pros. You can expect growth out of every single guy in the Kansas program that's returning. I mean, you get way more growth on a year to year basis in college than once guys get to the pros. You know, of course, there can still be improvement, and there is, but it's not the same as in college. Those guys really shape over the the four years that they're on campus. So, uh, you know, expect some growth out of the guys that are already there. I think there's going to be great pieces coming together, and then it's just a matter of, you know, what scholarships are available to to who can come because Kansas is always going to be a top destination for, you know, anybody in the nation. So one final note about Kansas before we move on to the other in-state schools, Uh, and you guys might disagree with me. Uh, I know Blake doesn't really give a damn about recruiting classes as a whole, that it doesn't really matter until they get nope. until they get on campus and start to contribute. But can we please just and why when I say we, I mean nationally, everyone collectively, can we please stop this ridiculous narrative that the NCAA investigations are hampering the recruiting for the (laughs) university of Kansas with the Bobby Pettiford commit that puts Kansas's recruiting class for 2021 at fifth nationally fifth. I think bill self would take that recruiting class any day of the week and twice on Sundays fifth in the nation. And I don't think he's done yet with commits coming in for next season. So I understand the stance about let's wait till they actually get on campus. Let's wait until they start playing a game. Let's wait until they're they're there. And I get all of that. But as far as the narrative of 
of recruiting being hampered or hindered because of the NCAA investigation. It's bogus. It's false. It's people wanting to drum up a false narrative to try to get clicks. And I'm tired of it. I think it's Kansas State fans, honestly. And, you know, the, I, I don't I don't really get it. And it's not all Kansas State fans. But, you know, it's funny when I see fans, you know, like they'll post uh, they'll post the shot of the three pointer getting blocked by Hakeem Warwick. And it's like, oh, look at that. Look at the jail. It's like I don't go around posting pictures of Texas A&M scoring in the Big 12 championship games. Like, what do you do? It doesn't even matter to you. Um, yeah, you know, and, and also, can I throw a little shade at Kansas fans? Because I heard from some of them, like, oh, my gosh, the, the KU's recruiting class is only ranked 22nd in the country. We, you know, just shut up, okay? If you don't want Bill Self as your coach, go be a Kansas State fan or go cheer for Kentucky. I don't really care who you go cheer for. If you don't trust what Bill Self is doing and you're going to put more stock in what somebody has the recruiting class ranked as, get lost. We don't need you here, okay? Bill Self is going to do what Bill Self needs to do. I trust, we believe, I believe, I don't know if I speak for everybody else on this show, I believe in Bill Self. I like Bill Self as my coach. I want Bill Self to continue being my coach for as long as he can stand and actually coach the team. So I don't want to hear about, oh, my God, KU doesn't have a high enough recruiting class. Get lost. It doesn't matter what the recruiting class is ranked. Let's see what they stack up at the end of the year. And from my perspective, Kansas has, what, like the top three winning percentage behind Gonzaga in the last decade. So, I mean, Bill Self's fighting something that works here. So don't worry about where the clean class is ranked. Let's worry about what they do when the games matter, when it tips off in November, and where they finish in March. I, I've got nothing to add, you to, know, add to that. Blake, I, I just sit back when, when Blake goes on his recruiting rant. I really think that, uh, Blake, I really think that Weston has just kind of been taking a nap over there during this show. <laughs> I mean, he is a new father. I think we've caught him off guard a couple of times. Well, I mean, I don't know. You know, Blake goes on his recruiting rants. I don't know what you want me to add. You know that I think it's important. I think it's it shows something about the program. Let me be clear. No, no point in, in going into it, you know, well, so – let me be clear. I understand that, and we've had this conversation the most dramatically about Kansas football. I understand that recruits are the lifeblood of any athletic program, whether it be Newman University or Washburn University or, heck, let's let's just be honest with just three of us in the room, KSHSAA, you didn't hear me say this. It can be the lifeblood of some high school programs too, okay? I'm just being real with you here. I understand that it is. The point is, I'm not going to waste my time worrying about the recruiting class and where it's ranked. Because Bill Snyder in Manhattan won a hell of a lot of games with a bunch of nobodies that nobody cared about, that nobody wanted. And he got them into a couple of seasons where they had real national championship aspirations and real BCS bowl wins. The best years of the Kansas football era that they've ever had were with a bunch of two star guys from Mark Mangino that nobody cared about, who thought were any good. And Todd Reesing, why would you want him? He's like four feet tall. Who cares about him? He can't play. He's not big enough. He's not fast enough. And, oh, okay, you won the Orange Bowl. How did that happen? So I, I just don't care. I understand that you need the guys, but 
I'm not worried about the number of stars that they have or where they're ranked. I want the right guys for the system, whether it be whoever the new coach is, when it was Les Miles for his system, maybe it's going to be this new interim coach, whoever it is. I don't. Maybe Jim Harbaugh is going to come back. I don't know who KU is going to hire as football coach. I want the right guys for him. I want the right guys to run what Bill Self wants to run offensively and defensively. I don't give a crap about where they're ranked. Well, so there are the differing opinions when it comes Tommy, to recruiting. Tom, yeah, go ahead. Tommy, hold on, though. So, you, you know, I can't let you guys just say yeah, I'm over here napping or you're catching me off guard and, <laughs> and just let that slide. I'd like to point out that I've I've been following Blake and on several occasions. So you ask a question like, hey, Blake, let's talk about the transfer portal. What do you think about the transfers? Blake starts on the transfers and drifts all the way over to talking about Mitch Lightfoot's three point usage. And then I'm supposed to follow that, like as if Blake didn't just cover every <laughs> aspect of everything there was to talk about Kansas basketball. Uh, I'm sorry. Are we airing grievances now? So Is I think that the Blake way caught that... me off guard. I mean, I'm not. I'm not paid <laughs> to give half opinions. Yeah. I give whole truth. Only a hundred percent pure great great double hey. A truths come from this microphone. I don't give half truths. And, and let. And listen, by no means am I saying, hey, Blake needs to reel it back in. I'm just saying, by the time you got to me, then I went, well, shoot, what am I supposed to talk about now? That's all. Well, how about next time I go to you first when we talk about Wichita State, which is where we're going right now. I'm still going to fill my time. So you you talk as long as you want. I got stuff to say. (laughs) All right. We're we're going to transition into – I know that. We're going to transition into Wichita State. So, uh, you know, again, not any program is immune from what's happening in the world of the transfer portal. And the Shocker program is no exception to that. There are currently four players who are in the NCAA transfer portal for Wichita State. Isaiah Porbear Chandler, Trevin Wade, Jaden Seymour, and Trevin's older brother, Trey Wade, announced that he will not be returning to Wichita State next season. He does have one year of eligibility. I think a lot of Shocker fans thought that it was unlikely that Wade would return because he was a senior. I'm not sure a lot of people thought that he would not be returning, but still going to be playing college basketball and going to another program for his final year of eligibility. A fifth player, Craig Porter Jr., originally had his name in the transfer portal, but then took his name out. So Weston, since you have made it clear, you would like to go first. What are your thoughts on these players transferring out of Wichita State and the fact that Craig Porter Jr. will be returning? Yeah, I think Wichita State's position is pretty similar to Kansas's in the sense that I I don't think they're losing anybody that you're you're overly disappointed in. I think losing, you know, Trey Wade's production is probably the maybe the biggest loss, but like you, like you said, I don't think anybody was expecting him back anyways. So, you know, that's kind of, was kind of already figured in. I think the biggest development with Wichita state transfer portal is certainly Craig Porter jr. He's somebody that I'm really excited about. I, I, you know, you know, I know coach Brown is, is really excited about as, as well. And, And to see that, I think there was, I mean, was it all of maybe, was it two days or was it even less than two days in which his name was in the, the transfer portal yeah, before he decided to, to come back. But yeah. So, I mean, so obviously, you know, you're looking at a junior guard, someone that really contributed th- this past season. So I think the continued growth um, of him is someone, I mean, it's, it's an important role of what he played and you're, you would certainly expect his, his game to grow. 
you know, in, into the next year and to keep this core group together that really put this season, you know, that, that led us to the American championship. Um, I think keeping them together and growing together is so important. You're going to be returning so many players, just like, you know, up North in, in Lawrence, they're going to be re- returning. So players, so I, I think Wichita state and Kansas are in a very similar situation. As far as going into the next year, you've got a lot of guys returning a lot of guys that are talented that you're excited about. You didn't lose anybody, you know, that was overly, you know, detrimental to, to what you're trying to do. And then keep in mind, too, we haven't seen it yet, but Wichita State now has some scholarships opening up. You know, who might be transferring in? You talk about McKissick, and it looks like he may be eyeing some bigger schools, but that that's also what makes the transition from uh, – you know, Isaac Brown taking over in the season being so good, keeping Wichita State on that map is so important because now you're going to have an opportunity to snag some really good transfers. And I would certainly expect, I would expect probably two, maybe three really good names to come in that you expect to maybe play a good amount of minutes. So I'm excited to see how that unfolds. And I think they're kind of in different situations where Kansas, it might be, you know, a guy transferring in, um, maybe two. Wichita State, I, I could see two to maybe three transferring in with a couple of them actually being decent contributors. I mean, obviously, it d- depends what those names are, who shows up. But uh, Wichita State absolutely has the power to pull in some good transfers now. Oh, I'm sorry. Is this the time when I talked? I was trying to think of an anecdote to fit myself <laughs> into the show. I thought that's what you did as you're the third like, guy. Take it I away. That's like, how that worked. I tried to find some sort of a way it, to have a personal anecdote away, of mine. Any personal, yeah, personal I mean, connection. I mean, I just try to give you that time so that you can figure out how to get your Weston whip around in. Um, so, contrary to popular belief, I do have something to say <laughs> about this. I, Isaiah Porbear Chandler, I think he had the capability to be a better offensive rebounder if he stuck around. Uh, Craig Porter leaving the portal. I don't know if I would go as far to say as he was a contributor. I thought he was kind of nagged by injuries this year. It'd be great to have a full season. He only played 19 games. He was kind of slowed down by coronavirus protocols earlier in the year. But when he was at Vincennes, he was a real player at the JUCO level. They won the 2019 National Junior College Championship at the NJCAA. I don't remember if they're D1 or D2. Probably doesn't even matter, but whatever. They won a national title. He scored 15 a game with eight rebounds and seven assists. And no, I don't think he's ever going to be an eight-rebound-a-game guy in the American. It's too good, even though uh, Weston thinks that Houston sucks. I think the American is actually a pretty good conference. I think he needs to get a little bit better defensively. I think defensively. But I said that about all of Wichita State's players for most of the season. Statistically, on defense, they were just okay. Now, the last three or four games, they played three or four of their best defensive games of the entire season. Unfortunately, they lost two of those games, but the defense definitely did improve. Next season, Tommy, the guy that I am still watching the most for a breakout year for Wichita State is Ricky Council, not the third or the fifth, Ricky Council, the fourth. I am excited about a guy that came in, played 16 minutes a game, and shot 44% from the three-point line. Now, he only attempted 27 all last season, but especially if Gilbert does not come back. Gilbert 
has not been a good three-point shooter. He's shooting under 29%, and he took 97 of Wichita State's 530 attempts. Those are shots that would open up for Ricky Council. Can Council be as good of a distributor? That is a huge question mark because Council, 20 assists, 23 turnovers, and Altry Gilbert was at like 91 and 50. So his assist to turnover was absolutely tremendous. And if you're asking me, Gilbert also led Wichita State in steals. He's a guy that I want to come back. And that's one that we – I don't think that we have heard one way or the other whether or not he is going to come back. I think I it's think, unlikely. You think unlikely? I think it's unlikely. I, I think it'd be a real big bonus for Wichita State if he does come back because I think he can provide that a more defensive pressure out on the perimeter. I kind of like he and Dexter Dennis comboing with Gilbert guarding the best – uh, you know, maybe the best ball handler and Dexter Dennis taking the best offensive playmaker. Dennis, while maybe not able to guard as many positions as Marcus Garrett, I think can guard guys that are a little bit bigger and longer than he is. So I like those two guys in the backcourt. I still think Ricky Council he can come in and be a big shooter, maybe help space the floor a little bit offensively, take some pressure off of Tyson Etienne, who had a fantastic offensive year. He was a co-player of the year, shot 39%, but at times I think was maybe a little bit overwhelmed, especially in those last two games. Maybe giving him a little bit more room to maneuver would help. I think Morris Udeze has a chance to really improve coming back next season after averaging 10 points a game this year. I think just like they said with David McCormick at Kansas, Udeze needs to be a better rebounder this season. And overall, Wichita State needs to shoot better from the free throw line. That's one thing that Ricky Council needs to get much better at. You cannot be shooting 44% from the three-point line and tell me that you're hitting under 65% of your free throws. I, I, I just believe that you've got to be hitting 70% of your free throws if you're Ricky Council. So I think a, a lot of positives for Wichita State coming back, Tommy. And I'm not saying this is happening. I'm not saying it's even possible. But Jaden Gardner is in the transfer portal at ECU. And he was a hell of a player for the Pirates. I don't think that he would transfer in the conference, but he's a guy that I think could come in and play in Isaac Brown's system and contribute like tomorrow. They could suit up without practicing. I think he would be a factor. And even if he doesn't transfer to Wichita State, that's a big name off of an ECU team that played Wichita State closer than probably they should have this year. And I still, to Weston's point, I know you're going to hate this, Tommy, because I'm agreeing with Weston, but how did ECU beat Houston this season exactly? How's that? That's a real stat that actually happened. No idea how that happened, but uh, anyway, those are my thoughts on Wichita State. Ricky Council, the guy that I'm looking forward to seeing next year. You know, I still think that, um, you know, I, I mentioned this last week on the program, that one of the most important uh, improvements that we were going to need to see in this offseason going into the 2021-2022 season for the Shockers was Morris Udezi improving his rebounding ability. He had a breakout season for Wichita State, but he needs to be an even better rebounder next season because the Shockers are losing their rebounding leader in Trey Wade. He averaged about 5.3 rebounds a game for Wichita State. Of course, he is leaving the program, so that's just going to open up more opportunities for Morris Udezi, uh, you know, to uh, – 
uh, to be able to come in there and increase uh, his his rebounding. And then we, again, like going back to Altery Gilbert, there's just really not any kind of update right now. The only update that we've gotten is from Taylor Eldridge uh, from the Wichita Eagle. He says that uh, you know sources are telling him that it is unlikely that Gilbert does play that second season with Wichita State. So we'll have to kind of wait and see what ends up happening there. We would also be remiss to not talk about the Kansas State Wildcats and what's going on in the transfer port, a transfer portal with them this season. And guys, I actually have some breaking news to tell you about that just came out in the last hour or so, courtesy of Jeff Goodman at Goodman Hoops. Kansas State has landed Little Rock transfer Marquise Knoll. He averaged 14 points per game and six assists per game for Little Rock. So Marquise uh, Nowell is headed to Bruce Weber's squad. He joins Missouri transfer Mark Smith, who will be joining Kansas State, which uh, I'm sure you've got to love. I mean, Kansas fans are going to be all over this move. He's coming from Missouri to Kansas State. But Mark Smith averaged 9.7 points, 3.2 rebounds, and 29 minutes per game as a Tiger. Uh, he played one season at Illinois before playing three seasons at Missouri, and now he will be a Wildcat. But then, of course, there have been a, a couple of players that have left Bruce Weber's program in recent weeks, including Antonio Gordon, Dewan Gordon, and Rudy Williams. They have all entered the transfer portal for Kansas State. So, guys, I know that on a previous episode of the podcast in Weston, I'll start with you. We talked a lot about how you know, if we were concerned about Bruce Weber, seemed like a lot of players were leaving the program. Does the fact that Weber has been able to bring in a couple of transfers now, does that help calm the waters a little bit there in Manhattan? Yeah, I think I think it certainly does. I mean, I think because there's two conversations, right? It's what he's doing, players exiting, coming in. How is that going to translate to wins? And then also, what is the response from the Kansas State fan base? Because as we've all talked about it through the course of whether it's discussing Kansas, Kansas State, Wichita State, donors drive these college athletics so much. So I think that for sure keeps folks in Manhattan or around Manhattan happy, knowing that they're bringing folks in. Um and frankly, like I said, I was I, I really wouldn't have been concerned about the guys they were losing. I think this is the nature of the beast uh, that we're going to see with with the expansion of this transfer portal. But something else too to keep in mind: I think programs like Kansas State, like you know, even really Wichita State, but I'm kind of thinking more Power Five are, are going to be benefited more so than a lot of others with the, the expansion of this transfer portal, because you get a guy that's, you know, out of, you know, like I said, Arkansas, little rock, that's a smaller school. Turns out he's really talented. Everybody just missed on him. And that's why he only got recruited by, you know, Arkansas, little rock now has that opportunity. And yeah, you know, Kansas state hasn't done well, but they're still power five. They're still big 12. And I think there's going to be a lot of young athletes out there that think or and maybe rightfully so go I need to be in a power 5 if I want to make it to the next level and go play professionally I I'm not going to get drafted you know even be averaging 20 a game you know or whatever it is out of this small school that no one's heard of but if I go and, and and kind of show out at a power 5 school even if it is Kansas State who's not winning in the Big 12 right now you know I think that pre- presents a lot of opportunity for transfers so I I think you're going to see Bruce Weber, who has shown that he can recruit, he can bring guys in. He has this likability with his players, at least uh, initially, um, that I think is going to be good for him bringing guys in. So you got to be excited. Um, 
in Manhattan to see that you're getting some guys that have produced on that level. And frankly, I think what was exiting, you know, is not of significant loss that you should be overly concerned about. So I think it's a net gain uh, for the Wildcats over there in Manhattan. I don't think that being power five is that big of a deal anymore. All the games are so accessible on television. Guys are not a secret anymore. John Moran out of Murray State got drafted. Heck, going back way, way back. Anybody remember a guy by the name of Dwayne Wade who led Marquette to the Elite Eight? Not in the power five. I mean, you don't think that Grimes out of Houston in the power six is going to get drafted? I think that he is. So I don't know if that's going to be a huge deal as it Pertains to Kansas State, I liked Dewan Gordon a lot. I'm with Weston on the others. Antonio Gordon, Rudy Williams, don't think those are going to be that big of a deal. Dewan Gordon, though, nine points a game, six rebounds a game. I think a pretty good rebounder for his size. Only shot 22% from the three-point line this year. Kind of struggled through injuries. Uh, Williams had five points and three rebounds a game. Kansas State finished this past season winning four of its last six, and it was Dewan Gordon who said, hey, I see this team being the number one team in the country next season. So why would he leave? If he's that, If you think you're going to be playing on the number one team in the country and you can say, well, okay, well, it's just a young kid. He doesn't know what he's talking about. We just talked about how kids you know, are, are young and they're impatient and, and they're impulsive. And you know, let's be honest, a lot of college kids aren't that smart either. Not that I'm calling Dewan Gordon an idiot or anything like that, but you know, they, they don't necessarily know what's best for themselves. They don't have necessarily act in their own best interests all the time. But if you think you're going to be on the number one team in the country, why would you leave that program? So if you're a Kansas State booster or fan, I think that you have question marks about that. I do think that Mark Smith headed to Kansas State is a good move for Kansas State and for Mark Smith. I think he can slot into Bruce Weber's kind of offense. I think that he could be a bigger scorer than he was because he had scored over 10 points per game. I think he was technically at about 9.7 points per game this year for Mizzou. Uh, Mike McGurl coming back, obviously. He'll be the leader, the elder statesman, the Perry Ellis of the West in Kansas. 12 points a game, all Big 12, and deservedly so for Kansas State. Play with a lot of heart, great attitude. He's the leader that Kansas State needs after a very disappointing and disgruntling season. Supposed to redshirt his freshman season, but got pulled into action because of the injury. So he's kind of getting that redshirt year back. So he was supposed to, he was planning on being able to play an extra year anyway. Big part of that Elite Eight run. He needs to shoot better, though. McGurl shot 9% worse from the field this year and about 9% worse from the three-point line this year compared to his junior season. For Kansas State to get back on track, he's going to have to get closer to that 39 40% three-point percentage, I think, for Kansas State to really have that lift offensively. The positive, though, Tommy, and I know that you don't care about Bruce Weber and you think Bruce Weber's a bad coach. And you don't want to hear anything good about Bruce Weber. But if you like Bruce Weber, Kansas State fans, you do have the nucleus of your late rotation that was starting and winning games and playing competitively back. You've got Miguel, you've got Bradford, and everybody on the podcast likes Nigel Pack. So you've got those guys back for Kansas State. So if you believe that Bruce Weber is your guy, you've still got reasons to be optimistic for what you've got back next year. I don't know if I share your optimism, but you do. Ha- I see the reasons why you would be optimistic. 
it's early, uh, but and there still is time, but there still is work to be done for the incoming recruiting class for Bruce Weber. Um, you know, last season he had a pretty decent recruiting class. It was ranked 35th nationally. Right now, his incoming recruiting class is ranked 106th nationally. He only has one signed letter of intent, and that is from center Logan Landers out of Cedarburg, Wisconsin, who is the 224th nationally ranked player in the country. So uh, that's the only letter of intent right now. Again, it is early. There is some time for Bruce Weber. You know, I got to wonder if a little bit of that, if, if, if there can be a narrative about an NCAA investigation somehow affecting Kansas recruiting, which is bogus, then I think it's okay to have a narrative too that potentially the uh, the uncertainty about Bruce Weber's job security could play a role as far as the recruiting for Kansas State. I'm not saying that that's a legitimate narrative. I'm just saying that that narrative could potentially be out there. So there's still some work to be done for Bruce Weber and the Wildcats as far as incoming recruits for Kansas State next season. But they did land a couple of transfers, one from Little Rock and one from Missouri. That's our update as far as the recruiting and transfers are concerned for KU, Wichita State, and Kansas State here on Keeper of the Games. And we are going to go ahead and hit the music and get right into our Wichita whip around here on Keeper of the Games. And guys... I am going to start my Wichita whip around story is all about the Wichita wind surge. This has been out for a little while now. We haven't mentioned it on the podcast, but it is worth mentioning that the wind surge, they do have their season schedule set. They released their 2021 regular season schedule for all 60 home games opening night for the wind surge will be on Tuesday night, May 11th, when the wind surge take on the Amarillo sod poodles, uh, sod poodles, sod poodles, <laughs> sorry, the Amarillo sod poodles, the double A affiliate of the Arizona Diamondbacks. Uh, of course, the wind surge will open their season a week prior on the road, taking on the Springfield Cardinals. Wichita is going to host tw- uh, 12 games each month, the months of May through September, and the season concludes on September 19th. Uh, so guys, real quickly, I know we've got a couple of other stories on the Wichita whip around, but real quickly, how excited are you that we've got wind surge baseball, the season schedule set Blake, I'll start with you. Very interesting because this is the first year of the completely reorganized minor league baseball because the, the wind surge were supposed to be in the Pacific coast league and those big old time branded leagues, the Texas League, they're all gone. So the the wind surge are going to be what they're calling the North Division of the Double A Central with Arkansas. And for Royals fans here in Wichita, you get a chance to see some of those future Royals coming to Wichita because the Northwest Arkansas Naturals are in the wind surge's division. Springfield and Tulsa are also in. Amarillo on the other half with Corpus Christi, Frisco, Midland, and San Antonio. So for the wind surge, uh, I, I am excited. I think it's great that we finally do have a schedule. Um, I, I have been out to the old, to the brand new ballpark. It, it is looking fantastic. I can't wait for it to be full. One question that I have, Tommy, you know, the, the Chiefs and the NFL, everybody is saying Alabama, University of Alabama, saying that they're expecting full stadiums in for this coming season. You know, no – no exceptions, no ifs, ands, or buts. The 100,000 people in the stadium, that's what it's going to be. 
when do we get there for Wichita? When are we going to be allowed to have, you know, the a real opening day? And I know that opening day is going to come and it's going to be great. It's going to be fantastic. It's so long overdue, but you know what we're looking for. That opening day that we were supposed to have in April with the, it was going to be absolutely packed at, at Riverfront Stadium. When are we going to get that? And has Wichita, the baseball, because the people here have said that they're starving for baseball. Are they still hungry? Are they still going to show up? Are we still going to get that big momentum, that anticipation that was built so long for that AAA ballpark and the AAA team? Will it transfer over to AA? I hope it does. I hope they give them a chance. The ballpark is fantastic. And it looks like the team's going to be pretty fun to watch, too. Yeah, I think so. You know, and you know the 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 wind surge they're going to be opening up that season on May fourth with a limited capacity. I'm sorry, May eleventh is their home opener. Um, you know, a limited capacity in the stadium. Wouldn't be surprised to see it. You know, eventually grow. Of course, the first game in that ballpark, as we talked about before, will be Wichita State versus Houston baseball on April 10th. Weston, your thoughts on the wind surge? Man, really excited to, to be out there. And, and I know, uh, so I'm a part of a couple different organizations that are already planning some events, you know, corporate type events, uh, you know, tailgating, renting out, you know, they've, I think oh. there's, a, there's like a, a beer garden, there's, a, you know, there's some boxes, those kind of things. So already looking at that kind of thing. And so, I mean, to me, that just is one little notion to, to show that, hey, there is some excitement outside of just, you know, your normal baseball fans that, hey, look, you know, there's some corporate people that are, hey, we'd love to host an event here. We'd love to get some of our clients out there. So, you know, I, I think the buzz is for real. And and I know one thing I'm uh, I'm excited, of course, to, to be at the stadium, to see the stadium. But I need to try to snag myself a uh, wind surge snapback uh, looking, been kind of keeping my eye. But I think I want to buy one from the stadium itself. So I probably won't get anything until I actually go. Yeah, I like, snap I like back that hat. Yeah, yeah. Snapback like like this one. But. I didn't even know that was what those were called. I, I, mine is yeah. not a snapback, by yeah, the way. Fitted mine's, hats, mine's fitted hat fitted only ones. for me. No, no <laughs> yeah. snapbacks. I can't fit this uh, into a snapback. Are you kidding me? <laughs> Blake is a self-pronounced non-hat guy, so it doesn't surprise me that he didn't know you know, the snapback. Uh, Fans, let's be honest. I'm not going to look any better in a hat, so what, why enough. waste the money? Two, two, two quick, two quick points from what you just said, Weston. First off, if uh, you mentioning those corporate events is your way of inviting us to join you oh, in those boxes, then that, I, I would be, we would be honored to join you for that. And thank you for the invite. You know, we just like we just want to test out the experience for you and your clients. You know, yeah. We want to make sure yeah. you're doing it right. Well, I will mention, so it's actually, you know, I've mentioned, I think, one time on this podcast, I'm, I'm part of the Kids Jams of Kansas, and I'm actually the president of Kids Jams of Kansas now. And so actually, it's in that capacity that we're looking at hosting uh, some events. So it will definitely be, if anybody wants to, to come out and partake, we're always happy to have people involved in that. Um, now, on the Gilson Dobbs side, to, to hosting, you know, as my law firm, as some, well, maybe we can talk about that off, off the podcast. <laughs> <laughs> the only other point that I will make about the wind surge before we move on is that I would submit for consideration that there needs to be a team actually called the sod poddles, uh, as opposed to just the sod poodles. What is a I think puddle? That'd be, exactly. I don't know. I have no, sounds, what's a sod poodle? It sounds like Nobody something, has any idea. The puddle sounds like something from the Harry Potter universe. <laughs> 
nobody even knows what a sod poodle is. No, so sod really. poodle is what it is. All right, Weston, I'm going to start with you. What is your Wichita whip around story for today? So my Wichita whip around story is probably maybe the very last prep basketball story we might have of the year. Well, maybe not. Um, but so Sunrise Christian Academy coach Luke Barnwell uh, was honored as the 2021 uh, Naismith Boys High School Basketball Coach of the Year earlier this month. Um, Barnwell, who, and I did not know this, he's a Kingman native and a, and a Bishop Carroll graduate, uh, led Sunrise to a 19-3 and record this year, third straight trip to the Geico National uh, Tournament. Um, you know, I think at least the and the Wichita Eagles suggesting this might be his best coaching job uh, that he's had so far that, you know, they beat Mount Verde Academy, um, which is, if I remember right, that's where Carmelo Anthony went. And then IMG Academy, uh, the whole list of, of folks that have gone through IMG. So those are just two absolutely powerhouse, you know, private high schools preps, but uh, they're going back to the national tournament. And right here in Wichita, we have the uh, Naismith Boys High School Basketball Coach of the Year. So big shout out to, to, to Coach Luke Barnwell over at Wichita Sunrise. Blake, how about you? Your Wichita whip around story for going the going back to softball, but not headed out to Wilkins Stadium. No, we're going to go a little bit closer to the center of Wichita. Friends University softball on Wednesday. So that would have been yesterday for those of you who are watching or listening on the day that this drops, which is Thursday. Had a big time trip up to play the Braves at number 23, Ottawa, and they absolutely destroyed OU in these games. Run rule in game one. Can I interest you in 12 nothing Falcons in five innings? You played so bad. We don't even let you come to bat in the last two innings. Haley Waters, five scoreless innings, scattered three hits for the Falcons. And then they backed that up 9-3 in game two. McKenna Mitchell, Carolyn Dallimore, each had two run dingers for friends. Ottawa entered today, guys, the number 23 team in the country. They were 21-3, and 8-0 in the Kansas Collegiate Athletic Conference. And they had the KCAC player and pitcher of the week. And friends said, Hold my beer. We're going to beat your brains in on the road. How do you like that? Friends is 17 and 10. Now 6 and 2 in the KCAC with the wins. They're going to McPherson. Actually, check that. I believe that it is 7 and 2 in the KCAC with the wins. They're going to McPherson. It might be 6 and 2. They're going to McPherson. Doubleheader as you watch this. No fooling. It's today at 2 p.m. McPherson. Doubleheader. Friends. Falcons softball obliterated number 23 team in the country. Very impressive wins. The final Wichita whip around story from me uh, is going to be talking about Wichita state baseball. The shockers beat Omaha 11 to one for the series sweep a couple of days ago. They head into American conference play on a four game winning streak. They're going to kick off the American season with eight straight games against Houston. That is how they start conference play for Wichita State Baseball. So that is just a quick add-on uh, for our Wichita Whip Around. Anything else from either one of you guys in our Wichita Whip Around? Tommy, no, sir. Can you, do you think post-production you can cut out all the friends praise from from Blake or just <laughs> pretend like that, that didn't happen? Oh, I'm sorry. It's not the Winfield Whip Around. Sorry. The best I podcast in the history of Winfield sports. 
I will, I will do my best. That is our Wichita whip around here on Keeper of the Games. Before we get out of here, our final segment of the show, additions, corrections, retractions. Anybody have anything, Blake? I you, do. One Weston? correction. We missed somebody in the transfer portal. Uh, we don't want to disrespect Remy Robert from Wichita State. Also yeah. in the transfer portal. Walk on, only played two games. Not really a big deal. One addition, Jay Creighton has been named the new athletics director at Wichita East. Currently the AD, a coach and a teacher at Gordon Parks Middle School. Here in the Wichita Public School District, he played college basketball at Cowley County Community College. I read this on the internet. I don't know if this is true. This may be completely false. But I read that this guy was actually paralyzed his freshman year in high school, and he came back and made a college scholarship, which is unbelievable. A Wichita State graduate. Uh, obviously, Wichita East boys basketball is the straw that stirs the drink there. Hasn't been quite the same since Joe Jackson left to go to Mays South. Girls basketball has been really improved for the Aces, though. And can he keep football at a very respectable level? Much re- more respectable level, probably since the Brown brothers were there, honestly. Um, you know, Wichita East football had a lot of juice this year at the 6A level. They're a big-time swimming school, 13 straight boys swimming city league titles. Girls had won 11 straight as of 2019. Uh, 6A girls swimming hasn't happened yet, but they won 6A titles 2018-2019. Had a Georgia Tech signing a couple of years ago. Wichita East is a big brand for the City League, big brand for Wichita, and athletically, it should be one of those statewide brands you think of, like Derby, like St. Thomas Aquinas, you know, like Andale. Not to throw a whole lot of a whole lot of praise on Western School because I his, he won't even fit his head into the camera. But I have to give praise where it's due. Bishop Carroll, Wichita Heights, those kind of statewide big brands, Blue Valley North. Northwest Mill Valley. Wichita East should be that. Can he keep the aces there? I think that's his big question as he takes over there in the center and Wichita's flagship high school. Any corrections, additions, or retractions for you, Weston? Uh, two quick additions for me. Just wanted to point out, uh, you know, I can't let a podcast go by without getting some sort of Chiefs mention or talk in. The Chiefs signed center Austin Blythe, who played for the Los Angeles Rams last year. Uh, you know, you certainly expect him to probably come in and, and compete and probably start over Austin Ryder. According to Pro Football Focus, he was graded out at 70.3 last year, which is ninth overall. Um, so, you know, pretty good addition for, for the offensive line. Uh, and then my next addition, I, I don't even know if this is an addition. I just feel bad for not mentioning it earlier you asked me what i was excited about for the royal season we're previewing the royals i think more than anything i am excited to watch some royals baseball and hear rex hudler give me all the hudisms oh. and just bring some excitement to the game of baseball <laughs> and i don't i don't know if you all think that that's sarcasm or i'm trying to just troll maybe you guys who maybe have a little bit more you know polished broadcasting experience but i truly do enjoy rex other i think he makes the game so much more exciting so i'm excited for old rex and i feel bad for not mentioning him earlier oh yeah can't. all i all i know is that there are thousands upon thousands of qualified broadcasters who are out of work and guys like Rex Hudler and Bill Walton have jobs. It just, I don't understand. No. Oh, come on, right? It's going to be so exciting. Billy Bob with barbecue sauce. Hey, go ahead and rake. It's awful. I love it. It's so love bad. Me some Rex. Uh, as far as, 
as far as I'm concerned, uh, uh, other than the fact that I accidentally called Hunter Dozier Franchi Cordero. Yeah, uh, that was not a good moment. And I pronounced the sod poodles as the sod poddles. Uh, it was a pretty solid show for me. Um, the only addition that I have, guys, is more than likely, I wouldn't be surprised, by the time we have a new episode next week, there could very well be a new athletic director at the University of Kansas. Uh, it hmm. sounds like momentum is moving. Uh, there are candidates that have kind of been gaining some traction in that search. And so it wouldn't shock me if either by the end of this week or early next week that either we have a new athletic uh, athletic director at KU or we have an idea who the finalists may be for that role. So that may be something that we end up talking about quite a bit on next week's episode, but just something to keep our eyes on as we move through the rest of the week. And with that, that is going to wrap up this edition of Keeper of the Games. Don't forget to hit subscribe. So anytime we have a brand new episode, episode, you'll get notified. Again, you can find us on all major streaming platforms on Google, Apple, Spotify, all the major ones there. Anywhere you check out your favorite podcast, you can listen to Keeper of the Games. You can watch our episodes on the Keeper of the Games YouTube channel and follow us on Facebook at Keeper of the Games, on Twitter and Instagram at CogPod, and our website is CogSports.com. And before, again, we get out of here, we got to let our audio listeners know where to find us individually on Twitter. So Weston, I will start with you. Where can they find you? on twitter at wmills94 for our beloved like, beloved audio listeners at be crips on twitter of course you can follow me anytime at tweets from tommy next week on the program blake crips slides back over into the host chair he will be taken over as host next week and we may be talking about ku and the potential new athletic director there we'll give you an update on the opening week of royals baseball any more craziness in the transfer portal with college basketball and a whole lot more on next week's episode of keeper of the games for weston mills for blake crips i'm tommy castor we'll see you next week you've been listening to keeper of the games Take care, guys. You've been listening to Keeper of the Games with Tommy Castor, Weston Mills, and Blake Cripps. Don't forget to subscribe, download, and listen on all major podcast platforms like Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, iHeartRadio, and more. Visit our website at cogsports.com. Find the podcast and videos on Facebook and YouTube at Keeper of the Games. And follow the podcast on Twitter and Instagram at CogPod. That's K-O-G-Pod.